Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Talk. This is your host, Alan, and my guest today is King Kai and the Heretics. That's Kai Carter. You may remember him from the Dirty Clergy episode. We're going to do a deeper dive on his influence and inspirations, and we're both in the vinyl, so we'll have a, a chat about that. All right, so Kai, man, how you doing? Everything's pretty good, man. I uh, really can't complain. Thanks for having me on the show. So last time you were on, we talked a little bit about your influence. Um, so I wanted to do a deeper dive with the sound of the King Kai and the Heretics. Uh, where did that come from? Oh man, uh, big a big part of it is uh, trying to take, you know, like the sound of the Velvet Underground. I was listening to a lot of the Velvet Underground, I will say, and. And a lot of Lou Reed's solo work, uh, and and Suicide and the Stooges, uh, also, and then that led me down the the rabbit hole, so to speak, you know. And I found out about the Jesus and Mary Chain and Spaceman Three. Oh man, that's where it really, really, you know, changed for the for the better. I would say uh, finding out about them, but because Spaceman Three is definitely a big influence. Yeah, we were listening to uh, them a little bit before we got started, and the things about this, um, these bands is uh, it's a specific tone. Uh, you refer to it as uh, drones. Yeah, it's uh, definitely yeah drone music for sure. But <clears throat> just uh, I know as far as the Jonestown sound, as far as for me, like it's almost like a a retro sound, but it's completely something new at the same time it's because you know Anton Newcomb does have like a lot of equipment that's from that era the 60s era yeah and like well what I've got this this silver tone amp this 1966 silver tone amp like a yeah just amps in general that are built in that time period sound really good and yeah man so uh, we were playing that before we got started here recording and that was the the intro for this episode was uh that amp and what really sets it apart is is the tremolo, right? Yeah, it's right. got a it's got a tremolo in it that's like really really particular. And uh, Silvertone's made by you know Sears and Roebuck, and before 
our time, I guess it would be. You know, I'm in ninety. We're both in ninety one. Uh, I just remember my dad telling me that whenever he wanted something, something big, you know, whether it was a rifle or you know some kind of a toy, or he wasn't very musical, but that, like anything he wanted uh, that was like a big gift for Christmas, like. Well, the Sears Roebuck catalog came to like every American home, you know, in the 60s, 70s. Uh, I mean, up until uh, you know everything went online, I guess. Right. That I Sears still and those books. yeah, that Sears and Roebuck catalog would come in uh, to my grandmother's like once a year. They'd have like their summer sale and then their big Christmas, you know, whatever. But that's where those amps come from. You know, they were sold. Uh, you know, if you if you didn't go with Fender, I guess. That was a little bit more of an affordable option, so a lot of people were playing with Silvertone, but you just don't hear it much, but you definitely hear it on those Velvet Underground records, and Sterling Morrison and I believe Lou Reed, too, all use, you know, both, I mean, they use Vox as well, but they did use Silvertone, and you can hear it, and me being an American, which it doesn't matter, but, you know, like, I use a Dan Electro and it's made in Detroit and you know America you know also makes the Silvertone which technically speaking it's not completely American there you know because they used a lot of Vox counterparts to make their stuff. So on sound your album uh, Tribulation Transmission is available on Bandcamp uh, right? Yeah on my Bandcamp. You can download it for free or if you feel like Dropping a couple of bucks, you can also do that. So did you play everything and produce and mix everything yourself? Yes. Did everything, every sound you hear. Yeah. Yeah, that's dope. Thanks, man. Yeah, and we were just talking about influences before we got rolling with Velvet Underground and capturing that sound and then... Uh, you did a good job of replicating and tipping your hat uh, to that. Um, what was we calling it? The spirit. You know, the spirit that I think was uh, in the Velvet Underground. Like I just, I keep talking about them not not because I'm just not just because I'm a fan, but really they were the first. Uh, th- I mean, the, them and the Stooges, uh, really the first. They were kind of anti-hippie in the 60s. You know, they just dressed like normal. They didn't try to wear, like, the kaleidoscope clothes and stuff. I mean, later on, you can see pictures of them, of course. Like, But they were the guys that wore just, like, the black leather jacket, and like, all black, you know. That was the Velvet Underground. And then the Stooges, just so fucking punk rock. That's, that's really before punk scene in the 70s, you know. It's like almost 10 years before but just the music they made i thought it was very punk rock yeah man i'm into it so before we got rolling we were listening to a velvet underground record the un- with the unreleased uh, what was the name of the record oh yeah yeah previously unreleased until 84 uh, the that vu record's really really good i can't stand it and foggy notion and ocean uh probably three of the finer points of Lou Reed's song right in there. It's a really great band. You know, and it's 
they do change a lot too. Uh, on the first record, you have Nico at the behest of Andy Warhol, you know, and then she is gone after the second record comes around, While I White Heat, and that's just them at their most velvet underground, I suppose. Uh, it's a, it's something else. And the third record is probably one of the, it's like the sleeper record. It's the one that doesn't get enough uh, acclaim, so to speak. But it's got some like really fine, finely tuned and like almost, you can hear a maturity in Lou's songwriting on that third record. Yeah. And you know, and it's just really as he intended the band to be, uh, aside from John Kell's gone and Doug Yule comes in. And what I mean by that is like the third record to me is more of a capture of what Lou had in mind because he doesn't have to butt heads so much with John Kale. You know, and that's John Kale's the one that comes in with all the drum the drone and the Lamont Young influence and stuff like that. You know, like Lou was just trying to you know, write essentially pop songs, but you know, with a, a gritty honest uh, yeah edge to them. Right on, man. I'm 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 with it. Um, lately, what I've been on is, man. You you think Alabama specifically right now for this example is, in Mobile you have A. Partridge, Eric Erdman, prolific songwriters. So with what we're doing now, we're looking back on the past and we're talking about the sound and how it influenced us. And then, twenty thirty years from now, the, the prolific writing of Abe and Eric, I mean, that is going to be something that is it's going to be a game changer. Just like it was a game changer for you when you heard Velvet Underground. In Birmingham, you have uh, Taylor Hollinsworth, James Mullis. If you want to go to the Muster Shows, Florence is a single lock. Anything from uh, According to this Chapel in Birmingham, but you should listen to that. But a single lock in, uh, up there in Florence, Muster Shows area. Brittany Howard, uh, John Paul White. Uh, Man, this Alabama's just loaded, and I'm leaving people out. Um, but I'm, it's, and it, for the most part, it's gonna fly under the radar. It's not mainstream. It's not on the radio. But for some people, they're finding it, and it's it's man, it's worth it. So, um, right now, it's about getting the right people in the same room at the right time, and just making history, and making music. Um, that's what I'm about. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, things are being made now, for sure. But it's all underground, and, and like, it's about, you know, maybe trying to connect all these strong acts that you've told me about. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, if we could, or, you know, just if there was more of a platform for in, in which the for those acts to, uh, be heard which I guess that's what you we're doing here now I mean that's exactly what we're doing right now and it's a great time to be alive because you can see these acts you can experience this it's not about the you know the arena rock scene or uh, the, the festivals and everything it's about what's happening in your backyard I mean there's no telling who might be playing in your hometown because I believe that um the DIY scene, the house shows, all that's going to come back. And, um, man, 
it's it's just a good time to be alive for music. Yeah, definitely. But you know, with the pandemic and everything that really killed, uh, that's why I haven't played any live shows. You know, yeah. it's not. I won't blame it on just the pandemic. Like, with it just being me, there's limitations, and you know, uh, it was pretty uncompromising on the records. Like, I just had a particular sound that I was trying to capture, which I think I was able to capture pretty uh, pretty effectively, but it's really hard for just one guy to be, you know, maybe if I was this octopus man yeah. that had literally like eight other arms on me and uh, working hands and nerves to, you know, and it didn't like fuck me up in such a way, but like. That'd be about the only way I could maybe make it happen, you know, like I just really need other folks to uh, get behind it. Yeah, to get behind it and then maybe we could take it live. Is it anything that you could strip down? Does it have to be fully loaded? Well, I mean, I think the songs are just as good with an acoustic guitar cause it's, or, or just one, one electric guitar, you know, that's how they start, but... For full body? For full body experience, yeah, like, I need all the layers. Yeah, that's, it's really hard for just me to, to make that wall of sound happen. I'd have to have other people to, to make it a live show. Yeah. But, you know, if I were to do just like in a stripped down acoustic set, I mean, there's value in the songs, of course, but it's really an experience that I'm trying to give people with the music, and <coughs> that would require other folks to be in it for me to be able to, to do it live like I would like to do it. So it's just a matter of um, finding the right people to get involved. Yeah, just meeting people, like-minded individuals that want to help me create. You know, like the records are the template, and live music. I don't expect it to sound exactly like that record, but you know, there's so many layers that I would want to be in the live performance too, that aren't there with just me. You know, only due to, I mean, I could play all of these, just not simultaneously. Yeah, I had to throw down a whole lot of loops. <laughs> yeah, if I had a bunch of loops, I suppose I could get it happening. It would just be like... Hey, this song took 15 minutes to do. <laughs> you know, it'd be more fun to have other people, too, playing with me. So going back to uh, your tone... Uh, what were some of the other influences that helped you find it? Really just rock and roll in general. I mean, it's it's a wide array of influences, but like the strongest influences I've had would be like The Velvet Underground, Spaceman 3, Brian Jonestown Massacre. So let's talk about Spaceman 3. And uh, because we, we didn't go into a whole lot of detail. Uh, what really did it for you with them? Oh. Man, like the first time I ever heard a Spaceman 3 record was their, you know, their debut Sound of Confusion. And I was just like encompassed by the sound of it. Like there, every place there could be a sound, there was a sound. Like that's, I think that's where, why they called themselves Spaceman 3. They were really trying to fill the space in the room with just sound. Like so many layers of like tremolo, fuzz-drenched guitar, like, I don't know, and then uh, 
I'm listening to their their music, and then there's covers that they've done too on this record, like Roller Coaster. That's a ter- that's that's a thirteenth floor elevator song, and I'm just a big sock fan in general. And I was like, Holy shit, this band's fucking awesome because yeah. they're covering thirteenth floor elevators. Well, naturally, I had to see what else they had available. That's really what it was, you know. And then I've just consumed it all. Like I really love them. They made some really important records as far as rock and roll, in my opinion, is concerned. They like created their own brand of uh, minimalist psychedelia in the 80s, like almost 20 years prior to the original like psychedelic explosion in music. So it's, it's really cool. And they definitely like had that spirit. And my friend Yuri, you know, I'll plug this band Fire Friend. They're of Sao Paulo, Brazil. We were talking about that spirit. And he thinks that, you know, like King Khan the Heretics and Fire Friend and well, Morning Face. Uh, Morning Face is the musical project of another friend of mine that I've made through the internet, uh, Kate Hummel. She she's really wonderful. She makes really great music. She you know he had mentioned her as well, like that, that spirit. It resonates. Yeah, it really does resonate, and it's been passed down through the forebears, like Spaceman Three, and you know on further back, Suicide and the Stooges and the Velvet Underground. I think it might have been the very first. Yeah, and. While we're talking about like sound and influence, uh, Spirit of Radio, Rush, um, Neil Peart wrote Spirit of Radio. Um, talk about bringing a tear to a glass eye. Uh, if if that song means anything to anyone, um, I believe it's talking about what we're talking about right now. Uh, it's, it's that spirit. You're talking about Rush. I'm not just the biggest Rush fan, but, like, I mean, I got ears to hear, you know. I can do understand and how important they are. Yeah, and that leads me to Mississippi um, on influence is uh, you take Bentonia, Jimmy Duck Holmes. Um, The style Bentonia was invented, so to speak, by Henry Stuckey, who taught it to Jimmy Duck. And others, and now Jimmy Duck is—he uh, has pupils. He is teaching people about the Bentonian style blues, and it is an epicenter of influence. And not only just learning uh, about Bentonia, um, they're adding their own flavor, and we're seeing a melting pot of influence. And I, I call those things a bubble. And when they pop. Um, it's, it's, it's great to see what happens with the culture. I just thought of somebody else. You were asking me about my tone. Yeah. Link Ray. Yeah. Link Ray. Yeah, Link Ray and, and the Rumbleman. Like, just, yeah, my God, dude. Link Ray had a nasty fucking tone. Like, it was incredible. If you listen to, like, a lot, any live version of Rumble in the 70s, like, the way he uh, manipulates the tremolo in his amp too, I mean that's that's there's a lot of that going on in my own music too. It's like, like it's not just the Spaceman Three and stuff like definitely some Link Ray influence too. 
Like, I just really like how he would uh, play his amp. At, he would play with the tremolo, yeah, but, like, the, just the, the level of intensity that he would set it on. He'd turn it up to, like, 11 on the intensity with the tremolo and just fucking break the knob off the goddamn audience, you know? Yeah. Like, and just turn the volume up. And so, like, he had a, uh, a tone bender circuit. He didn't actually have a fuzz pedal. He had a tone bender, MK2 tone bender. And he would just play his amp so loud that, like, the natural breakup of the speaker and the overdrive, like, it was just so fucking nasty for 1970, you know? Like, so, yeah, I like Link Bray a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Who were we listening to uh, when I first showed up? Uh, you, you had it on tape. Oh, uh, Miles Davis. Yeah. The Bye Bye Blackbird, yeah. That's a really good tape. And just for the listeners, uh, a little bit more about Miles. I don't know a whole lot about Miles other than he's just uh, a wild man, <laughs> so to speak. And I mean that in the you know the best way. Like uh, Miles Davis to me represents a lot of uh, artistic freedom, and I haven't you know like delved too much into him as much as you know I don't have as much knowledge on hand so to speak about Miles Davis. I only have that one tape, but it's a damn fine one. Who were some of the other cats during the era that uh, Miles was compared to? Old John Coltrane, for sure. Those were the two. Oh, there's Herbie Hancock, and uh, there's another guy, uh, Chick Corea. Yeah. Like, there's, you know, the, those were the the big four, I guess. That's the four that I that I know of uh, that come to mind. Like all kind of making a similar approach to music, but of course, you know, different because of the different people pushing the envelope. They could, you could put them in an envelope of pushing the envelope of what music could be as far as like free jazz and stuff. Yeah, and Lamont Young too, the droning. So to bring it back to today, and King Kai and the Heretics. Tribulation Transmission came out about two years ago, right? Uh, no, uh, Tribulation Transmissions, I released it on my birthday last year, uh, April the 8th, uh, during the pandemic, you know. And uh, I thought a lot of the songs on it could resonate with with the pandemic, that it was, you know. It's a pandemic record. Yeah, uh, sort of, but I, I never would call it that, you know, but it, it was recorded during that time period yeah. yeah but i wouldn't call it a pandemic record it wasn't like an i mean completely inspired by the pandemic but there's a few tracks on there that like, where i touch base with re with the reality i find myself in so we have 2020 in the pandemic and I, th I think there's two school of thoughts one is what's the point of dropping a record that i can't play out I can't sell, I can't give the experience of what that record is about. Respect. Two is, I put all this time into mixing, producing, and doing all the legwork for this. I was locked up, and I just believe it needs to be heard during this time. I don't think it's about being live. I don't think either one is wrong. But I mean, like, what's the experience? I mean, what's it about? Yeah, well, it was more of like hesitation because, you know, I, I would listen to the the mixed and mastered versions 
but then I would go back, you know, but since I'm doing all the work, it was just kind of like, it was a little bit of, you know, having to pull this off of it and go back so I get it in this file in this format so I can go back in, you know, and mix with this and mess with that. But, like, it was more of just a hesitation on my behalf to release it because I was like, is it, does it truly sound the way I want it to? And it's like that with every record, up, you know, but, like, uh, to answer your question, no, nah, uh, other than my own just, like, hesitation just like trying to create the perfect sound or whatever would you ever give up mixing and producing your own music or is there too much freedom at risk if you did that well, i experience it both ways you know because sometimes it do be a little overwhelming but at the same time like there's no one to argue with there's no one to like have to go behind and correct so to speak um, and I hate to look at it that way, but it's just I'm really uncompromising about the sound of the Heretics uh, band. And, like, that may be why I'm just by myself, so so to speak. Uh, but, like, yeah, um, it's overwhelming to do it all, but at the same time, it's very rewarding to have to listen to a, a finished product and to hear the finished product match up to the initial idea you had in your head is really rewarding. And I'll say this, just about like past recordings, uh, a lot of it is just to get an idea down, and even if it's a demo or people don't dig it quite at that time, that's fine. It, it's just the idea of getting that out to walk away from it and possibly reapproach it. Because uh, it probably won't sound the same ever again. I'll say a lot of this, I mean, most of the time, it's I'll go in and I'll do one take of this or that. And that's the take. Yeah. Because I just, yeah, I try to live in the moment as much as I can. And there's been times where I would go back, you know, because I didn't like this take. Or maybe... Maybe I didn't have the microphone quite close enough to the amp for whatever reason, you know, whatever the reason was that I would end up taking multiple takes. And then overcooking those, you know, like trying to go for a sound, but like overcooking it with effects and just ruining it and having to start the whole thing over. <laughs> There's been times, like, but trial and error. I've uh, learned a lot about producing, so I guess to answer that question, you asked me about like, do is doing it all overwhelming yes but i've learned a lot too i've yeah. taught had, had to teach myself to do it otherwise it wouldn't have gotten done i like what you said about not being willing to compromise the sound of the record um there were some talks about in waves with the dirty clergy album um with not wanting to compromise the sound right yeah, Brian spent a lot of time, uh, like, just really finessing it, yeah. yeah. You know, and what, that's, I guess that's the difference in our, but which we're kind of the same, you know, like, I like to go in and take one take, but I like to finesse it for hours afterwards, so that, like, we're the same about that, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Oh, and just listening to a take and different, you know, like, like if if it's there, it's there, you know. But like, if you, if you don't like it, you can go back and. But I usually try to take everything in the, on that first take, just get it all in the first take, because yeah. it's the most honest and sincere. I mean, that's what you were going for. You shouldn't sit down to just try to record something if you don't know how you're gonna play it, or you know what I mean. Like you should have some at least general idea to get. You could should be able to get through the song from start to finish before you sit down and record it. Otherwise, like, that's why I think the first take should be sufficient. Yeah. But. That's, that's the way it's gonna be. If so, I, I mean. Form. If you've ever had to pay someone else to record you, you obviously understand that like yeah. oh my god yeah do it as quickly as possible. yeah if you don't know what you're doing then they're gonna be like what are you doing and why'd you pay me money what wait you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> so the first take should always be sufficient if you already know your song and know what it's gonna be first take should do let's talk about processes with that is just like when you step in i've seen a little bit of it just jamming out with you and making music right here just on the spot but um as far as your process, man, is like, uh, where does that sound come from? I mean, is it just a part of nature, maybe a bird call, or um, just those old influences? It's like, uh, how are you uh, getting to the, the guitar sounds and uh, the, the complete vibe that you're putting out with uh, building in these drone takes? Oh, I just really just sit down and uh, listen to it, listen to how the guitar and the amp sound, and try to channel the emotion I'm going for through that sound and try to use sound as a way to like say what I'm feeling too not necessarily just the words but and the drones help because they like I'm trying to uh hypnotize the listener so to speak but then when my vocals come in it's like you're it's to, it's to kind of like put your guard down so that you can really hear hear it, you know, hear the music. I don't know how powerful it is, but I just know for me, I can get lost in the sound of my guitar droning, just playing one note and just messing with dolls on the flanger pedal or messing with the tremolo in the amp or dialing up the intensity or the repeater on the echo machine or just what I mean it's like yeah but it's still me just playing the same note yeah I can get lost in it there's a lot of soundscapes to be had within drone and it makes the music more powerful I think let's talk about the the band name where did that come from uh started as a joke between me and my friend Logan he actually helped me start the band or well Miles uh, helped me start the band, and he, you know, because I was telling him like, "There's no way that just the two of us could do it." I was a drummer, uh, you know, like we switch it up, you know. One of us would play drums on one song and guitar, or vice versa, you know. Whoever wasn't doing the other, but uh, yeah, he he said we should just call it King Kong the Heretics, you know, because it. The recordings that we ended, the initial recordings we did uh, with all the drones and stuff I wanted to put on it, it he said it ended up sounding like there was like 10 fucking people. And he's like, call it King Guy and the Heretics, you know, because it sounds like a full, big and ensemble band almost. Like, but it's really just you. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
do a little bit deeper dive on like Velvet Underground and like um, was it through a documentary that you began to figure out what they were doing or was it just through your time spent with sitting down with the record as far as being able to pick apart what was going on? Oh both and there's been numerous books I've read about them too I was just like that was one of those topics I was telling you about like being on the autism spectrum and like the hyper focus like Velvet Underground has been one of my hyper focus centers and well just rock and roll and it, like certain bands i consider to be very rock and roll and that'd be the velvet underground that's like the most rock and roll goddamn punk rock just fuck you i'm gonna do what i want kind of thing like i've ever seen and i mean it's so admirable and so fucking inspiring and their first record say you know i think they it they the tell says that it sold like two thousand copies on its initial release, but the 2,000 people that bought that fucking record went out and started their own band. Like, it was just super influential. It's just like, holy shit, this is all it takes to do it. I mean, it's like effortless fucking cool. So how long have, uh, have you known your sound? Uh, how long has King Kai and Heretics been around? It started as, like, just me and Miles jamming together in about 2016. But I never got around to, I mean, and there's recordings that uh, he actually still has that he wants to release probably under another name because I released the very first Heretics record in 2019. It was like a five-song EP. But it's mostly covers. It's like one Velvet Underground cover. Uh, the Another cover I did is by this band called The Soundtrack of Your Life. That's a cool fucking band to check out. Uh, and then, of course, I covered Spaceman 3 song. And then I did a full-length album that only has one cover on it. And again, it's a Spaceman 3 song. But I think the first album kind of shows you like where I'm going. And then Tribulation Transmissions was like... Here a, we are. Yeah, a more like well-rounded like effort, so to speak. And then Enjoy the View is the one after it my latest record it was pretty well received but you know it's just me like trying to going to I don't know just trying different things on that record and then this new one I'm coming out with is it's going to be dropped in August hopefully I'm looking at like August the 1st but yeah it's called Head Trauma Head Trauma Head Trauma because I really think everybody <laughs> nowadays got them some given the state of the world. I called it head trauma because uh, uh, this is as far as I'll go with it, is being auto autobiographical. Uh, you know, I did write the music. And uh did suffer a pretty devastating head injury as a child. And, uh, which I mean, obviously I'm, I'm fine. Like, I live to tell the tale so to speak but head trauma the way that resonated with me when I was looking for a album title nothing else stuck out and just like the makeup of the album like what the songs are all about head trauma interwoven all throughout King Kai and the Heretics head trauma not April Jesus Christ August the 1st. There's your plugs.
so with the upcoming album is is there any unexpected changes with your tone or style or uh, what's going on with this record well yeah i would say it's it's the first record that uh i have the this new amp on the uh all the previous efforts were made either with this fender you see here uh, and I had access to a box that AC30 as well. But yeah, head traumas made with this good old silver tone. All the tracks on it are tracked with that amp. Yeah, that's fun. Um, to swap gears real quick, you and I share a similar passion. Well, we got something coming up tonight, a little bit later. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do this disclaimer. Like, I'm just, well, I don't even know. Disclaimer's not the word for it. But, like, I just, I used to be, like, you was telling me about your friend was, like, I don't want to be pinned as a wrestling fan. Yeah. I really don't give a shit. I like it. Yeah. I always fucking have. It was something me and my grandmother done together. And, uh, you know, that's, like, one of the first genuine connections I ever made with a human being and uh, that was just one of the many many tools she used to uh, connect with me because she saw that I liked it too so I'm just probably never gonna not at least be interested in it I may not watch it every show fucking hardcore but you know with the internet you can pretty much keep up with what you want to keep up with but yes we are gonna fucking watch NXT in your house later (laughs) because it's probably one of the best wrestling promotions that uh is going currently. I'm not really a big fan of Raw or SmackDown, but you know AEW is a good show, and NXT's putting out a pretty decent product. What do you think about Billy Corgan? Uh, buying the NWA, yeah. Uh, I mean, solid move. There's a lot of fucking rich history there as far as a, a wrestling company. I mean, my favorite wrestler of all time, spanning all decades, is Ric Flair. I mean, he carried the NWA gold. Uh, you know, he's a 16-time world champion or whatever. Well, a lot of those. Uh, Reigns were were done, uh, you know, as NWA champion. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, there's. I think it's a solid fucking investment, and I really think Billy's got a lot of good ideas because it's like, and it's gonna take a little while, but it's getting back up on its feet. Yeah. I mean, they have Nick Aldis as the real world's champion, but. Yeah, man, and just like with NXT, it's like when you talk. So people who enjoy wrestling and like have, they don't even know it exists. Like I'm glad that like Peacock picked it up. It's getting a little more out there for people, but a lot of people who you know, I always had the network because I could I had the WWE network for years that you know just because I could watch and you know, I could watch ECW, WCW, any pay per view. You could watch the ECW fucking show. You could watch WCW Nitro and Thunder. I do hate this new deal with Peacock because the last time I looked on there, I could not fucking see any Nitro or like half. I heard that they're, they're still building the catalog, that it's, they don't have it all yet. Yeah, that's, that's what I've heard too. I wish they would get on with it. Yeah. Because I miss my Nitro. <laughs> <laughs> we watched that shit uh, literally until it went off the air in 2001. My grandmother was like really hardcore about WCW. Uh, we went to a couple of shows when I was a kid, too. She took me to Atlanta to go see Nitro. Pretty dope. 
How old was you? Uh, very little, man. Like, I don't really... I just remember seeing, like, Hulk Hogan and uh, the NWO and uh, and Ric Flair. And I was probably, like, six or seven. Yeah. I don't know. Probably something like that. Maybe. Let's see. No, I hadn't been older than that. It would have been, like, in 98 or 99. So I'd have been, yeah, like, seven or eight. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. That's a dope memory. You know, it kind of reminds me of... Uh... Yeah, like most people's dads and moms will take them. You know, my grandmother took me right. to the shit. It reminds you. Was you a uh, Adam Sandler fan? Oh, yeah. You remember uh, Happy Gilmore? Oh, yeah, this one like, was his best How dope movie. his grandma was? She was rock and roll. Yeah. Sounds like your grandma was rock and roll. Yeah, she was really nice. <laughs> really nice lady. That leads me back to music. Um, walk me back to first picking up music. Uh, was it a guitar? Or what'd you pick up first? Oh, uh, it was originally bass. You know, which I, I just eventually taught myself to play in a, a guitar too. But about twelve years old, you know, trying to figure out who I was going to be because, like. That's the age when you decide, you know, what you're going to do. You're about to go into high school and, like, you, you know, are you going to play fucking sports or are you going to get in band or... Yeah. Well, I didn't want to do either one. Yeah. I just wanted to, you know, play video games. I'm not proud of this, but, you know, just kind of interested in being a bad kid and smoking cigarettes and, like, you know, playing punk rock music and stuff, so... I remember having downloaded all of uh, Green Day's stuff on Winamax. Yeah. <laughs> you know, back in the day when everybody had that, and then it evolved into, like, LimeWire and shit. Yeah. Well, I've since then corrected that behavior. I mean, I, I don't listen to music unless I know that I can pay for it, you know. Like, I, I try my best to buy the vinyl when I can or the cassette of a band or whatever, but, like, it started with me pirating Green Day and uh, wanting to uh, be like Mike Dirt from Green Day because I thought the bass playing was just fucking fantastic. <laughs> That's what initially set me on to being a musician and then uh, getting a little older and uh, discovering, like, psychedelic rock and... All this good, great fucking indie rock just kind of has shaped me uh, into who I'm now. We'll put a pin right there. We're out of here. Thanks for having me, man. News and notes. Thank you so much for listening to Porch Talk. If you haven't done so already, I would ask that you would rate and review the show. Whatever podcast app it is that you listen to on, share it. Everything that we do here is organic. And it's directly because of you. I only know so many people. And only so many people pay attention to what I do. But they know you. And somehow continues to grow. Stinks. Now, with the sound drones and everything going on. Uh, time is not on your side. This is off uh, Tribulation Transmission. It's King Kai and the Heretics. I'm out of here. Peace out.